1: LCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: Contrary to how things might appear, Peter's action was not simply a matter of choosing to eat his meals with certain people. What he did in withdrawing from the Gentiles to eat with Jewish people was a very significant sin because it was an attack on the very message of the Gospel.
0: When the Apostle Paul arrived in Antioch and saw that Peter, of all people, was apparently falling victim to the Judaizers who had moved in there, he addressed it right on the spot. And that led to the first and most important church council in history, the council that settled once and for all the question of what it takes to be saved. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve moves on to his second message in this series from Acts 15. I invite you to follow in your own Bible, if you can, as we consider this event that must have been highly uncomfortable for Peter, for Paul, and the others present but which has blessed the following generations with a clear description of the means of our salvation. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson.
1: This morning as we continue our study of the book of Acts, we are continuing in Acts chapter 15, and we're about to look at the very first church council in all of history. It's known as the Jerusalem Council simply because it was held in the city of Jerusalem. And not only was this the very first council ever, but it was also the most important church council ever, because it settled the most significant theological question ever to be asked, and that is, how is a person saved? Are they saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, or by faith plus some religious work? Now, as you'll recall from our study last week, this question about how a person is saved, it had to be addressed, and it had to be addressed now, because there were some Jewish men who came down from Jerusalem. They came to the church at Antioch, and they were teaching that Gentile believers in Jesus Christ could not be saved. They said they were not saved unless they were first circumcised, meaning they had to first become Jewish before they could become Christians. Luke writes of this in verse 1 of chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I want you to know that this is still a very relevant issue. And it's a lot broader, a lot broader in principle than the first century question of circumcision. It is a question that focuses on Jesus Christ and whether or not his death as punishment for sin is sufficient. For our salvation. Or do we need something else? Something to supplement. Something to to complete our salvation. And the reason folks. That this question is still so very relevant. There are a number of reasons. But one glaring one. Is that there are millions of Roman Catholics. Who follow the teaching of Vatican. The teaching of their church. And the teaching of their church. Is that Christ's death. Is not sufficient to save anyone. Whereas Hebrews 9, 26 says that Christ's death was to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what the Word of God says. His death was to put away sin, meaning all sin, by the sacrifice of himself. The Roman Catholic Church denies that and states that individuals play a part in dealing with their sin by making amends for their behavior. It's not my opinion. Here's a quote from Vatican II Council. They said, Sin must be expiated, which means atoned for or to make amends, on this earth through the sorrows, miseries, and trials of this life, and above all, through death. Otherwise, the expiation must be made in the next life through fire and torments or purifying punishments. In other words, there's something that you must do to make yourself acceptable to God by dealing with your sin, either in this lifetime or after, and by that they mean purgatory, because their teaching is that Christ's death was not sufficient to deal with all of your sin. In addition, whereas the Bible teaches that justification is the act of God whereby he legally declares a sinner who has trusted Christ's death For salvation, he legally declares them righteous. They are legally righteous by crediting Christ's righteousness, whose obedience to the law, to their account. Roman Catholicism teaches that justification is God's act of making man righteous by his own good works and obedience. Their official teaching is that justification is achieved by faith and good works. And folks, that's exactly what the men who came down from Judea in the first century were saying. Exactly. But it's not only Roman Catholicism that errs in teaching that Christ's death is insufficient to save us and that our human effort is part of our salvation. There are plenty of Protestants who teach essentially the same thing by teaching that water baptism is necessary for salvation. Here's a direct quote from the website of the United Church of Christ stating the role that they believe baptism plays in salvation. I quote The sacrament of baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of God. Through baptism, now listen, through baptism, a person is joined with the universal church, the body of Christ. In baptism, God works in us the power of forgiveness, the renewal of the Spirit, and the knowledge of the call to be God's people always. According to to them, you cannot be saved by faith alone in Christ. You need baptism to be joined to Christ and to be forgiven of your sin. Listen, these are not minor theological differences. These are heresies that will damn a person to hell if they follow them. Any teaching that says that you need something more than Christ, something more than faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, is a damnable heresy. It has to be addressed. has to be addressed by true believers. And that's why when Paul and Barnabas, while at Antioch, heard these men from Jerusalem telling the Gentiles of that church that they needed to be circumcised in addition to believing in Jesus for salvation— According to Acts 15, verse 2, they strongly disagreed with them and they engaged them in debate. But after arguing and contending for the faith, we read that that they still couldn't settle the matter, and so the church at Antioch decided to send Paul and Barnabas, along with some others from the church, up to Jerusalem for the apostles and the elders to determine the matter, and thus the Jerusalem council. And so, as verse 4 tells us, having arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas then were welcomed by the church and its leaders, and with everybody present Paul and Barnabas reported how God had used them on their first missionary journey to lead many Gentiles to faith in Christ. But now, having been officially welcomed by the Jerusalem church and having had the opportunity to share how God had opened a wide door of faith for the Gentiles, we read in verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to look into the matter. And so the Jerusalem council is now ready to begin. They're ready to discuss this matter at length with the objective. Their goal is to settle the issue, to settle the question of how a person is is saved. Interestingly, though, Luke does not share with us any of the details concerning the discussions that took place during this meeting. All he tells us is at the beginning of verse 7, after there had been much debate. So we know that men on both sides of the aisles debated each other, no doubt with much passion as they presented their arguments. In fact, there's an old saying that if you ask two Jewish men their opinion, you'll get five answers. (laughs) And so, you can imagine, with a room filled with Jewish people, you can only imagine that the meeting must have been at times a little chaotic, with perhaps some hotheads yelling and others going on and on with their arguments. But finally, something happened that stopped all of the debating. As verse 7 continues, Luke tells us that Peter stood up and said to them, that is, after there had been much debate, Peter stood and he spoke. Listen closely, though. Starting with Peter, followed by Paul and Barnabas, and then James, Luke records a summary of the Three speeches made by these men before the council of apostles and elders. And all of them, Peter, Paul and Barnabas, James, all of their speeches are in defense of salvation by faith alone. And when I say faith alone, I'm using that synonymously with grace alone. And it was these three speeches that helped bring the council to the decision they made on the question of, do Gentiles who believe in Jesus need to be circumcised in order to be saved? Now, this morning, we're going to focus our attention on the first of these speeches, the one made by Peter. And frankly, it is a bit surprising that Peter even stood up and said anything concerning this issue Why? Because there was a time in Peter's life when his actions actually denied the message of salvation by faith alone. I say that because there is an incident that the Apostle Paul records in Galatians 2. And this incident took place at a time when Peter had previously visited the church at Antioch. And by his actions behaved in such a hypocritical way that he actually denied the gospel message of salvation by grace. I didn't verbally deny it. It's just by his behavior he did. And Paul, observing what was going on, rebukes him for it in the front of the entire church. And the reason that it's important for us to understand, we're going to take a bit of some time to go through this, but it's important for us to understand what happens at Antioch during Peter's visit there, is because it helps us to understand how, out of his hypocritical behavior and Paul's rebuke of his behavior, how Peter learned his lesson. And at the Jerusalem Council, how he came to be such a staunch defender of the doctrine of salvation by faith. Here's what happened as Paul records this incident in Galatians 2, starting at verse 11 through 14. But when Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name, when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, as you can see from this incident, that it had to do with Peter deciding to no longer eat his meals with the Gentile Christians at Antioch. And for this, we read in verse 11 that Paul says that he publicly rebuked him because he said he stood condemned. What an uncomfortable situation this must have been, having one apostle rebuke another apostle, and in front of the whole church. In his book on Galatians, Philip Ryken describes what this scene must have been like. He writes, It was an awkward moment, to say the least. It's always embarrassing when a fight breaks out at church, but this one was a real doozy. For one thing, it took place during a church potluck where everyone was supposed to be having a good time. For another thing, the combatants were the pillars of the church. It was Peter against Paul, two apostles in a face-to-face, knockdown, drag-out showdown. The battle was completely unexpected. The two men had been friends ever since they got acquainted in Jerusalem. The last time they were together, Peter had given Paul the right hand of fellowship. But this time, Paul was opposing Peter right to his face. Now, this incident and this passage of Scripture raise a number of questions for us. For one thing, we want to ask, why did Paul make such a fuss about Peter eating his meals with people? What does that matter, who he decided to dine with? What difference is that? Make, who Peter decided to eat with, Jewish or Gentile people in the church. Secondly, if Paul was so upset with Peter, then we have a legitimate right to ask them, Paul, why didn't you speak to him in private? Why rebuke this man in front of everybody? It had to be extremely embarrassing and, and more than embarrassing, humiliating for Peter to be rebuked in front of all. After all, this man was an apostle. And he was looked upon as the esteemed, unofficial leader of all the apostles, a pillar in the church at Jerusalem. And he's being scolded like a little child by Paul. So why did Paul publicly call out a great man like this? Why did he embarrass him by scolding him in front of others? In fact, though Peter's been dead... For quite some time, this incident in his life still continues to be an embarrassment to Roman Catholics, who believe that Peter was the first pope, and therefore they believe that he was infallible. And the reason Peter's rebuke is an embarrassment to them is because it is impossible to justify papal infallibility when your so-called pope gets called on the carpet. So, why did Paul rebuke Peter, for who he ate with, and why did he do it publicly? Well, as you recall from our study last week, the Galatians, the people Paul revealed this incident to in his letter, had been bedazzled by false teachers, men known as Judaizers who insisted, same same issue at Antioch, who insisted that Gentiles who believed in Jesus, they said, could not be saved without first submitting themselves to the Mosaic law, the right of circumcision. In other words, they taught that the Gentiles had to first become Jewish before they could be saved. I said, it's the same issue that now in Acts 15 they're facing. And in saying this, they were denying what Paul and Barnabas had taught the Galatians, that salvation was by faith alone in Christ, apart from any human works, and that included the work of circumcision. Now, listen closely. The reason that Paul rebuked Peter was because Peter's actions denied the message of the gospel. And he did it publicly because what Peter did was a public sin. It wasn't a behind-the-scenes sin. A public sin that negatively affected others in the congregation who followed his sinful example. And because it was a public sin, it demanded a public rebuke so that everyone knew that what Peter had done was wrong and that they all needed to repent of following his sinful example. See, contrary to how things might appear, Peter's action was not simply a matter of choosing to eat his meals with certain people. What he did in withdrawing from the Gentiles to eat with Jewish people was a very significant sin because it was an attack on the very message of the gospel. We see this very clearly by the fact that the particular Greek word that's translated opposed, you can see it in verse 11, Paul says, I opposed him to the face. It carries with it the thought of responding to an attack or resisting an attack in the sense of defending an assault. And so what we learn from this is that Paul saw Peter's action as an attack on some truth that was related to the message of salvation by grace. And his rebuke was a defense of this attack on the gospel. So what Peter did was wrong. It was sinful. And that's why Paul writes at the end of verse 11 that Peter stood condemned, meaning he was guilty of wrongdoing. What he did was sinful. Now, just on a side note, what this tells us is that none of the apostles were sinless. In and of themselves, they were not infallible men. You see, these men were sinners just like all of us. However, and it's a big however, when they wrote scripture or taught doctrine, they were infallible. Because God, at that time, made them infallible through the supernatural work of divine inspiration as he guided them in accurately writing down all of his God-breathed words. So then, what we want to know is, what did Peter actually do that was so wrong that it drew such a condemning rebuke from Paul? Well, Paul tells us what got him so upset. tells us in verse 12, for prior to the coming of certain men, from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and to hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Now, Paul explains that when Peter first arrived in Antioch, he ate his meals with the Gentile Christians of that church. This was apparently the norm for the congregation as Jewish and Gentile believers in the church met. They ate together, and then Peter just came. He was visiting, so he joined them. And the way this is stated in in the Greek text makes it clear that this was Peter's normal and habitual practice. In other words, from the moment he arrived at the church in Antioch, it was his practice to eat his food with Gentile believers. Now, this may not sound like a big deal to you because most of you are Gentiles, and to eat with Gentiles all, all the time, you do that and you think nothing of it. But for Peter, a Jewish man from Israel, Eating with Gentiles was very significant, and it was a big deal. You see, under the Mosaic law, God had established the rule that Jewish people could only eat certain animals that were considered clean. We call them kosher foods. All other foods were to be rejected as unclean, non-kosher foods. Now, one of the reasons that God established These food laws was to keep the Jewish people distinct and separated from pagan Gentiles who had absolutely no concerns about what foods to eat. And so food was a way of keeping the Jewish people well-defined from their Gentile neighbors and distinct as the covenant people belonging to the God of Israel. And so Peter, like every observant Jew in his time, he grew up never having a meal with a Gentile. Because his diet was limited to only kosher food, never the unclean animals that the Gentiles ate. But one day, all of this was to change in Peter's life. And several months ago, we studied that one day. Because in Acts chapter 10, we saw how this change came about. It came about through a vision given to Peter by God in which images of all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean, were displayed on a white sheet that came down from heaven. And in this vision, God revealed to Peter that he was now free to eat anything he wanted, kosher or non-kosher, because God said all the animals had been cleansed by him. They're now all considered clean, and he could eat anything he wanted. But as Acts 10 makes clear, this vision was not only about unclean food being cleansed, but it was also about people, specifically Gentile people, Gentiles being spiritually cleansed through salvation. You see, shortly after this vision of food through a series of events, Peter found himself presenting the gospel to a Gentile Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius and his household. And as a result of hearing the gospel... Cornelius and his family came to believe in Christ. They received the Holy Spirit. They were immediately baptized by Peter. And following this, Peter was asked by Cornelius to stay on with him. He and his family remained with him in in his home. And as a result, Peter now ate with Gentiles. And therefore, he could not stick to his normal Jewish diet. He had to eat whatever food was served to him, maybe ham, shrimp, even horse. All non-kosher foods. And so when Peter came to Antioch, he just continued this practice. This practice of eating his meals with the Gentiles of this church. His uncircumcised brothers. And it was no big deal. He just ate whatever food was placed before him, whether it was kosher or non-kosher. And it was no problem. No problem, that is, until one day. One day when some Jewish men from Peter's home church in Jerusalem, these men showed up in Antioch.
0: And that's when the trouble began. Pastor Steve will get into the details on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You're always welcome if you're in the area. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Visit lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714 for service times, directions, and other information. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. To catch up on previous broadcasts or to make a gift to help finance the production and broadcasting of Verse by Verse, go to versebyverseradio.org. Explore our message archives or find out how easy it is to give online. Your gifts are vital to keeping verse by verse on the air and so we're grateful for each one of them. You can also get by phone if the Lord's leading you that way by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. Even the Apostle Peter, who learned a valuable lesson in resisting intimidation when Jesus was crucified, was not immune to peer pressure. He reminds me of the story Chuck Swindoll told about the fairly intelligent fly. This fly refused to rest on the spider web because he saw no other flies there. That's because the spider kept it clean so it wouldn't look like a trap. But then he saw a bunch of flies dancing around on some brown paper and decided that looked like a good place to land. The fly died on that brown paper, which, as you've guessed, was fly paper. (laughs) Thankfully, Paul came along at the right.